Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you again for meeting for worship, and I'm looking forward to when we can be back together again in person. This morning, I want to share a memory uh, with you as we figure out where to go next uh, after we've finished listening to Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I want to tell you about a conversation I had with uh, Bill Stevens. Some of you know uh, him before he passed away, a local pastor here in this area. Bill's one of the folks that I went to when I first got the opportunity uh, to serve as a pastor among friends. And I asked him, what do I need to know about being a Quaker pastor? I had been a pastor before, but never among Quakers. Bill was one of the many people I had that conversation with, just to see what I could learn from his wisdom. And if you knew Bill, you probably already guessed, he had a lot of wisdom to share. Now, one of the questions that I was most interested to ask him, uh, since I came to service in a Quaker context, um, not ever having grown up among Quakers or having had any previous experience, and Bill was the same way. When Bill first came to pastor among friends, he had been a lifelong United Methodist and didn't have a Quaker background. So I asked him, what was it like to navigate that, to come in and be a learner yourself as you also have some responsibility uh, for sharing with others? And his answer was very wise. He said, uh, the congregation always understood that I was on my own learning journey uh, to absorb the wisdom of Quakers who had gone before. And in his experience, he said that he thought folks sort of enjoyed when he would share the best of what he was learning uh, as, as he was absorbing Quaker thought and Quaker history. I'd like to do the same thing this morning now that we've finished a few weeks in the letter to the Philippians, uh, I'd like now to spend another couple of weeks listening to Quakers who've gone before us to see what we can hear from their wisdom. I want to start with uh, Rufus M. Jones. Now, the Jones among us will have to tell us whether or not there's any connection between them and Rufus, but today I want to look particularly at a lecture he gave back in 1919, and it was entitled Religion as Reality, Life, and Power. You may recall one of my first messages here at Deep River, but in case you don't, I mentioned that there are two questions that shape almost all of Christian history and Christian theology since the, the very first generation of the Christian church. Those two questions are, one, um, you know, the early church thought that Jesus was coming back like next week, right away. And the first question was, since we so clearly misunderstood what we thought we knew about when Jesus was coming back, what else have we misunderstood? The first question was, who was Jesus and why did he matter? And then the second question was, since we misunderstood when we thought Jesus was coming back and we still seem to be waiting, how then should we live while we wait? And almost all of Christian theology is, in a way, a response to those questions. Who was Jesus and why did Jesus matter? And 
how then should we live as followers of Jesus while we're waiting for the culmination of that story? We still have to answer those questions today for ourselves and as a meeting. So I think it's helpful to reflect on wise friends who've gone before us. And in this lecture, um, Rufus, I have to say, I love that name, by the way. Uh, my great-grandfather was named Rufus Henry. and I, uh, Maybe that's why I was drawn to this particular friend. But Rufus shares with us um, four main ideas that he describes as key to this effort that we call religion. Now, we have to give uh, Rufus a pass here in the way he uses that word. A lot of times when we use the word religion, um, it has sort of a negative connotation. Uh, you know, religion is the stuff that we can get caught up in that distracts us from a, a, a true and genuine relationship, spirit to spirit with the living God. I don't think Rufus is using the word religion in that cultural sense, in the way that we tend to use it today. He's using it more akin to the the word origin, the Latin origins of it, um, which have the idea of the meaning of binding the soul. Uh, you can hear the common thread with the word ligament, religion, the um, relegare, binding of the soul. Religion is the stuff that we do to bind our souls together with the divine. So in, in that sense of the word, the good practices that we follow, that's how we have to hear Rufus when he says, these four ideas are at the heart of what good religion looks like. We remember James talking about good religion. Uh, Rufus is doing the same thing. And the four ideas that he shares are truth, beauty, service, and love. Now, there's not a reading as such today because I want to share a few words along the way with you about what Rufus says about these four ideas that he thinks are central uh, to the best practices that we can follow as we reflect on those basic biblical questions of who is Jesus and why does Jesus matter and um, how then should we live as friends of Jesus. The very first idea that Rufus mentions is the idea of truth. He points to this idea of truth and the very fact that it exists, that we have an idea of some things that are true, knowledge that we can pursue that is reliable. The very idea of truth, Rufus suggests, is an indication of how bound up we are with God in our own spiritual lives. The very fact that we search for certainty, he says, is part of what, how we can understand our relationship with God. Here are the words he uses himself. The rational pursuit of truth is the method of discovering the meaning of some fragment of experience by setting it in its place in the larger whole that explains it. It involves the power to survey facts from above as one views a landscape from a mountaintop. 
and to see all things steadily and connectedly in relationship with the more to which they belong. That idea that there is more beyond us to which we belong, Rufus is suggesting to us that that is revealed in this idea that we have called truth and our commitment to pursuing it. He gives a warning with this idea, though. And he says that we should be careful not to be content with the truth that we already have. And that we should not draw too close a line around ourselves that once we reach that amount of truth, we're satisfied and stop striving for the more that is beyond us. I hear wisdom in that. I think it's worth us listening to Rufus's reflections. Now, the second idea that he mentions is the idea of beauty. Rufus describes beauty as the only lens through which we can see the actual whole of a thing or a person or experience. That beauty is like looking at reality as though we're on a mountaintop, seeing a landscape out in front of us. And from that mountaintop perspective, we can see all the rivers and forests and fields and see how they all fit together as a whole so that it the picture that we see uh, is more than just the sum of the parts that make it up. That's what he describes as the lens of beauty. Now, like with the idea of truth, this is an idea that Rufus offers a warning as well as an encouragement. It's interesting, when he offered a warning about our pursuit of truth, he warned us about not going far enough. With the idea of beauty, Rufus's warning is more about perhaps going too far. Here's what he says. Such experiences as seeing all of reality through the lens of beauty expand and liberate the soul. They remove the narrow limits and the pressure of the finite, and they bring a sudden release of joy as though we had found that for which we were meant. But this experience of beauty may and often does stop short of the true end of life. Beauty often produces a kind of sudden spell, an enchantment, without supplying discipline and control to the will. Without training and organizing the person to meet temptation and the stern choices of life, it does not of itself take the beholder beyond the stage of emotion to a real achievement of character. Lovers of beauty are not always morally robust, and it's quite possible, furthermore, to make beauty an end in itself, to treat it as though it were a world of its own and needed no beyond to explain it and complete it. There's a kind of wisdom that I really appreciate in Rufus's ability to hold together both an encouragement and a warning. Uh, the realization that in the lens of beauty, there is great vision, but at the same time, potentially great distraction. I think it's worth us hearing his wisdom. Now, the third idea that Rufus offers us in this lecture is the idea of service. 
He talks about it as the impulse to reach beyond ourselves and focus on what is good for neighbors or friends or for those around us. And service in tangible, real, concrete ways, feeding, clothing, building, serving in, in ways that people can touch. So that impulse is part of what draws us beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves, so that our faithfulness matters at all. And in that outward focus, Rufus is telling us to consider that we may find something essential in that outward focus for that inner binding of our own souls to the divine. Now, when Rufus talks about this in his lecture, he makes a reference to uh, the uh, the biblical message from Paul that where Paul says, if I have not love, uh, I'm nothing. That there's something essential to the makeup of the person involved in this reaching out to others. Rufus doesn't reference James, but he reminds me also of the words from James's letter to the church, where James describes true religion. And if again, we hear that word in, in its loftiest sense of the idea of binding our souls to the divine, James talks about true religion being acts of service to widows and orphans and those without voice and without power. Service as a key component. It's the third thing that Rufus mentions for us. The fourth idea that he mentions is love, love itself. He references love when he talks about service, but then he talks about love as its own idea. Here's what he says about it. But love does more than expand and enlarge. It consecrates life to ends of unselfish goodness. We here pass by all aims and springs of desires to get, and we discover at length what it means to give and to share. We're ready now to be impoverished and stripped for the good of another. We no longer talk about sacrifices. The word has no place in the vocabulary of love. For whatever is done or suffered, it's a joyous gift. The me and the mine are swallowed up in the us and the our. Rufus is careful to make a distinction between service and love, although love is a component of service or sometimes perhaps a result of service. Um, you can have service without love. You can have service motivated by guilt or obligation rather than out of love. He talks about love as having this ability to transform us completely from being inwardly self-absorbed, self-focused persons to being aware and focused on the world around us. And at that moment, when Rufus ties all these things together, he talks about our inability to be in the world without recognizing that we have some obligation to it, that we have some in inherent need, desire, and purpose to make the world around us better, to improve it, to heal it. And in that combined uh, search for truth 
and uh, willingness, determination to see beauty and the focus on service and the pervasive transformative nature of love. All of that together, he says, is a key element of what binds our souls to the divine. So why does it matter for us to listen to Rufus? Why do we bother going back a hundred years and sorting through a kind of outdated conversation? I mean, if you think about it, he gave this lecture in 1919. I've left out whole sections where he spent uh, laborious effort trying to reconcile his religious perspectives with scientific perspectives of the day. But in 1919, uh, Einstein had just published his general theory of relativity four years before, and in 1919 was the first astronomical event that allowed any sort of observations to prove uh, Einstein's theory, to begin to offer evidence that this was a true, more helpful, more beautiful explanation of the nature of our universe. So it's a bit odd for us to try to listen to Rufus's efforts to um, reconcile our faith to the nature of reality, given that we were all born after our understanding of that reality had completely changed from the framework that Rufus was speaking out of. But that, to me, heightens all the more the beauty of seeing the truth of what Rufus has had to offer here. Because despite the changing details of our physical understanding of the world around us, the enduring truth that we exist in that world with obligations is inescapably enduring. I think James was right uh, in his assertion that true religion, if we are truly bound in our inner spirit to the Spirit of God, we'll see it in the ways that we treat widows and orphans, and those without power and voice. I'm reminded of a story that I heard of uh, an old farmer up in the mountains, and someone from out of town stopped by, and they were having conversation, and casual reference to religion came up, and the visitor said, are you a Christian? And the man said, I am. And he said, are you a good one? The farmer paused and said, I hope so, but you'd have to ask my neighbors. Wow, that's a thought, isn't it? What would we hear if we asked our neighbors, are we good Christians? Are we good friends? Are we good examples of following Jesus? The wisdom in that question gets to the kind of real, practical, tangible difference in the world that Rufus Jones thought it ought to make for friends to walk faithfully through life. As we enter a time of open worship, I want to offer those same ideas to you as queries. What are you doing to seek greater, deeper truth? What do you do to see the world and the people around you through a lens of beauty? In what ways does the impulse to service manifest itself in your 
daily routines? And how is love transforming you into someone focused on the good and well-being of others? These are the questions that are on my heart this morning as I listen to Rufus, as he helps us reflect on the questions that we all inherit from the biblical story. Who is Jesus and why does it matter that we follow him? And how should we live while we wait for the culmination of that story? While we wait together, I look forward to hearing the messages that Spirit brings through you as well. Peace be with you.